Hello, this is Pixelated Playgrounds, a gaming book club podcast discussing the art and craft of video games. I'm Brian Skersha. I'm Josh Galecki. And I'm Clint Jones. And today we're talking about Mr. Saito. Developed and published by Laura Shigahara, the game is released for PC and Switch in 2023, and we will be talking spoilers, so heads up if you are sensitive to that. So, why are we playing this game, the sequel, or rather sidequel, to a game that we have not yet played, uh, Rakuen? The reason is I came to this game through uh, the Gaming in the Wild Forum's single-sitting social channel, which highlights very short games for um, a quick discussion uh, for that podcast's uh, Discord, and I really enjoyed it. It's a like fun little slice-of-life game that punches above its weight class in terms of emotion, and I dragged you two along with me. So what did you guys think? I thought it was a good game, uh, very simple mechanically in what they were having you to do. Um, for the most part, it was a uh, fetch quest here and there with some light puzzle along the way. Uh, but it was more about kind of developing the characters and developing the world a little bit, too. Um, I heard about the 90-minute playtime of this, so I kind of thought about this in terms of a movie. And that was my framing for playing the whole thing. Same. I tried to do it in a single setting because I understand that's kind of what they wanted. But having two children, that was, like, not happening. I managed to get it in two. I did my best. <laughs> I did it all in one day. But, uh, yeah, I think it had ups and downs, and the ups were really high, and the lows were just kind of mm. also low. But, uh, yeah, I think it had some important things to say. Yeah, I, I won't disagree with you that, like, some of the part where this game tried to be a game, <laughs> for lack of a better word, were some of its weaker parts. Yes. Um, but... I guess what I would what I would say about it is like I did manage to play this during uh, one uh, thankfully good nap time for for the kids. Oh and, wow! Uh, yeah, I know, right? Um, so that was cool. It was actually a single sitting game for me. But I want to talk a little bit about this developer because um, this is a person who I am now kind of fascinated with and I'm happy to be following, and will definitely be playing their other game, Rakuen. Uh, Laura Shigahara, who is a game dev and also composer and singer songwriter and is frequently on Twitch doing all of those things. Um, so to that end, music credits on things like Plants vs. Zombies, To the Moon, and Deltarune, the new project from uh, Toby Fox, huh. whose name I was shocked to see in the credits of this game. Um, <laughs> <laughs> you could probably pick out the song. <laughs> yeah, it was the No Holds Barred concert, right? No, no, no. It was uh, the Irritato uh, <laughs> Oh, song. yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Wait a minute, so, he had a song? Toby Fox? No, the Irritate Tao. Yeah, yeah, what he did... had a specific, like, uh, honky, obnoxious sound when he was, like, talking to you about anime and stuff Oh, like that. <laughs> sorry, I thought you were talking about a song that he did. I'm like, please tell me I didn't miss his song. No, yeah, it was um, uh, obviously a very interesting uh, game developer in that, like, you know, I'm working with a team on this one. Like, they have an artist. Uh, Laura has an artist that worked with her on this one, as I understand it. Um, but this was a game that sort of, uh, listening to a, a dev interview with um, with her sort of came out of sort of her streams and basically the fandom was like, hey, you know, this little character that was drawn and like started to become a mascot for her, Mr. Saitao, the llama worm, um, hmm. suddenly like started to take on a life of its own and develop some lore and she basically turned that into a whole game, which I thought is kind of cool. Well, that's a fun way to kind of engage your community and whatnot. Um, kind of like things that are grown organically but not just as from one person but kind of like the back and forth with your community 
Yeah, I guess officially we would call this would be considered a Rakuen universe game. Although you know none of us have played that game, so we we have no context. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, which is interesting. Um, I I you know like I said I'm I'm interested in going and, and trying that, but um, I think maybe we could just start with what this game is doing. I guess, and what it does well and what maybe some of the things we wish it did better. But for my money, the things that I really, that drew me to this game and kept me moving through it were three things. The art, which right off the bat is stunning, you know, gorgeous pixel art. Um, the writing, which is pretty gentle and cute and twee, but with depth, definite, definite anime influences. And then the music, which is pretty stunning from my perspective. Yeah, I think the story was... I mean, yes, the other two things were great, but I think the story, at least, especially up front, this game hits hard at the beginning. Like, mm-hmm. it comes out with his best foot forward. I think this is what I hold against it the most, is I don't feel like the the level of polish or writing or anything really held up after, for me, the office sequence was just, like, <laughs> peak. Like, that was better than most video games. And then it just kind of fell off. I'm like, oh, sh-. I just feel like they had, like, this awesome idea. And then it just didn't flesh out. I don't know. That's how I felt. Maybe not everybody else feels that way. But I, I, the, the ending definitely hit for me. And we'll talk about the ending when we get to it. But maybe it's worth laying out uh, the premise here. And then we'll, we'll go into that. Because I think I, I definitely want to talk about that office sequence. And kind of each of the sequences. Because I think this is definitely a game that's in sort of three acts. But um, yeah, let's talk about what Mr. Saitao is right off the top. So Mr. Saitao is a salary man. He... Uh, toils away in front of a computer screen. He goes out for a meal that he cannot finish due to being too tired. He stumbles home in a drunken stupor, and the next thing we know, he's collapsed, and we wake up to him in a hospital with a young boy in his room. Uh, And he has sort of developed a character, a llama worm, uh, called Mr. Saitao after him, who has an important job making buttons for the tunnels that the other llama worms Mm -hmm. use to travel Uh the world. (laughs) Uh, soon after the hospital sequence happens, uh, Mr. Saitao enters this llama worm world where you play as Mr. Saitao, the llama worm, and continue the rest of the game through there. Yeah, I'm pretty sure this is just when they finally gave Saitao his drug so that he could calm down, and this is what's <laughs> happening afterwards in his brain. It is real, like, Alice in Wonderland, right? Like, that was yeah. kind of the vibes that I was getting, is, like, all of these real-world things were kind of being drawn into this fairy world. And I think it's pretty interesting how they opened it with that real world analog and then the rest of the game takes place in the fictional world um i it it worked for me i kind of felt like they didn't connect the two of them enough like you're you're in the hospital there's this crazy thing that happened and all of a sudden it just cuts immediately to the office the next day which sure you can take it up pick it up and run with it uh but i felt like I was looking for a little more of a connection, not necessarily like a narrative telling you like, and then this happened in whatever terms of subtlety, but just more like parallels or some way to transition it from one to the other. I think they had to steer a little clear of it given the subject matter. So this is supposed to be like a cutesy game. They had to like show you the real world stuff at the beginning so that you understand there's like real stakes, but then they put you in this silly world where they talk about digging themselves to the center of the earth, which I'm pretty sure is just a metaphor for suicide. So yeah, like this is like some pretty dark stuff and you can't do that with llama worms. If you, I don't know. I feel like they had to keep the two uh, uh, apart. 
Well, this is kind of the thing for me is like, I think that was sort of the game's trick is it starts with the real world Saito who's living this sad existence and you wake up in the hospital and there's no one there. You know, there's no friends, no family. There's just this kid. And, you know, this is, I think this is the thing that this game is trafficking in. Like we talk about the loneliness epidemic or we hear about it in the news and stuff like that. Right. And this is like that on the page in a video game. And you know, at the end of the day, what this game is talking about as it goes through its stories is how you combat that. But back to like the the sequence of events, Brandon, the kid, he's kind of the the childlike eyes that all of this is coming through. And to your point, we're not talking about suicide. We're talking about a llama worm who's quote unquote digging to the center of the earth. It's like a mask that we're using to talk about these hard subjects, right? You're not just straight up talking about the thing at hand. You're using kid gloves to like get to a point without it being too difficult in the moment, you know? Right. Well, yeah, but they don't talk about, they don't reveal that Mr. Saitel, the llama worm, was trying to dig down until close to the end of the game there, which ties it back to the beginning in a nice way. Um, I felt like there should have been a little more, I don't know, something thematic or something less abrupt in how they moved it. Yeah, you're going to the fantasy world, um, you know, through the looking glass was kind of one of my touchstones thinking about this game too. Uh, But it just seemed like there wasn't any obvious connection between Mr. Saitau and the llama uh, in the hospital and um, the llama Taos everywhere uh, and everything. Like, I, I didn't feel like this is like the game was saying, this is the same character necessarily because everyone's named like Mr. Saitau. I just assumed it was all his homies at work. Yeah, right. Yeah, I, I mean, I kind of, I kind of got that right away. I was a little, I'm a little surprised to hear that. <laughs> it's not that I didn't get it. I felt like they, I don't know. It, it, it's like they assumed you would assume that, or they didn't like. I, they, I don't know. It, it didn't um, flow well for me. Let's say. I guess going back to that office scene, since I think this is such an interesting first scene, and Clint, clearly it like resonated with you. Oh, extreme. Um, <laughs> like, I, I took like no less than 13 screenshots of what I thought was just the best dialogue. I don't take screenshots of video games. Actually, hold on, let me count them. One, two, three. I have 26 screenshots of things I thought were awesome from that <laughs> scene alone. I mean, the basically the line you wake up to is, do we have a proactive strategy for managing finance-driven intermediary or infomediaries? <laughs> but are we optimized for the cloud? Like, how many times a fucking day do I hear that phrase? Good <laughs> God. And, and I think it's great that, like, the first thing you must do is get seven metrics for the boss. Metrics, metrics, metrics. <laughs> oh, I loved that. Yes, and how they couldn't decide if anything was cool. <laughs> what yeah. are you measuring? I don't care. Like, our train's cool? We don't know. We, we don't have <laughs> metrics for that. You know, I think the hilarious thing about this whole metric sequence is, is met- the word metrics being completely devoid of context. You know, as someone who does have a job in corporate culture and fashions myself as a person who does not suck at that job um metrics lacking context uh mean absolutely nothing like that's just (laughs) (laughs) optimizing for the cloud doesn't mean anything either let's be real here (laughs) wait a minute no no it does don't make me start my job right now i don't want to get (laughs) it 
we can save the debate on the optimization for the cloud for later. But I think the lampooning of the sort of corporate culture that's going on here is really on point. Um, oh, yeah. Which is interesting to me because, you know, the developer, Laura, is, as far as I'm aware, not someone who's ever worked in that scene. But through a developer interview, I heard that basically she had asked her father about, like, who had interacted with a bunch of these salaryman types in his life, what it was like. And to my mind, translated it pretty damn successfully. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I'd have a hard time believing that they were that far removed from this. Like, I feel like they've at least worked in an IT department somewhere because, like, all this <laughs> stuff. The 32-step verification thing, I just, like, I'm like, oh, my God. Like, every time I actually need to get into my work stuff, I better start, like, five minutes ahead of time because I got to go through this and that and RSA over here and this. And I understand why we do all this, but, like, good God. Yeah, same boat, man. Same boat. <laughs> I think... The way that it's, and there's specific aspects that are like very Japanese centric here, which is interesting too, given that the dev is um, a Japanese American, um, the sort of middle manager boss person, boss Tao, and like how he's sort of forcing them out to happy hours every night after work and you know, no one actually wants to be there. <laughs> insists. Boss Tao insists. And tries to get them all drunk too. Yeah, that's very like, um, I don't know what to say typical but it's a stereotype about salaryman culture yeah for sure and i think one interesting thing about this and um like some of the characters you meet in that office are so good like we talked about irate tau already sort of the bane of your existence who just will not shut the hell up um and wide tau who's like this chill person and they keep saying have a long day and they have the long day club because <laughs> <laughs> a long day is a day that's full of good things to improve our lives which what the hell does that mean <laughs> it's mainly just metrics but whatever <laughs> the best metrics no i like um the introduction to wide tau happened in the hospital scene back in the real world where uh, mr saito was like oh what's this one he's a little wider than the others and because oh, yeah. like oh yeah that's wide tau everyone loves him <laughs> <laughs> and that's kind of like what got uh, taken on, or like he, everyone loves him. He's all chill about everything, and you, he, I kind of took that as like getting implanted in Mister Saito's brain, so that when he wakes up in Wonderland, then it's like, oh, here's this cool employee friend that he like wants in his life. Yeah, it's. It's those little touches, and that's like the whole Alice in Wonderland thing to me, like kind of made this whole thing work. Like I played this through a second time for the the podcast, just a, a full disclosure, you know, played it once for the single sitting social thing and then again for our podcast. And the second time through, I noticed a lot of other things in that opening scene with real world Brandon that you would find later in the game, surprisingly. Um, so there's more of that Alice in Wonderland stuff going on than I initially clocked. I guess it's worth mentioning that we don't run into fairy world or Lamato world Brandon until a little later you know we go through this whole office sequence um, which you know I think we all found pretty effective but then you go home and you wake up the next morning because you're supposed to be presenting for your job and your house is infested with mini migi they're like birds birds (laughs) evidently super gross well we do not not like them well Mr. Saitao himself has a uh fear of them uh i think more so than other llama Taos have yeah I, I thought i mean this is kind of like a weirdly obvious point but he is a worm so why wouldn't you be afraid of birds oh okay uh, yeah <laughs> i guess i saw him as more of a llama than a worm but yeah i guess i see where that's coming from 
At any rate, this is sort of our inciting event, and uh, immediately, um, Brandon, who in this world is a little, like, tulip bud-looking thing, he's sort of a little pink, onion guy. Yeah, flower onion bulb. Um, he is... Um, I, I, it's worth mentioning his character because I think his character is kind of fascinating. He is like a wise beyond his years little boy in the real world. Um, and <laughs> to my mind, he's like kind of low-key manipulative in the way that he like makes you go on an adventure with him. But first thing he does is clear all of these gross birds out of your house so that um, you can realize you're super late for your presentation and just decide to skip work anyway. <laughs> I mean, you owe him at that point. You gotta go. Yeah, so... Brandon, the thing he wants to do is see the crystal caverns, right? So you saying, well, I've already fucked up this day from a work perspective. I might as well just call off and go on this adventure with this kid. (laughs) Yeah, and that kind of launches the, I'm going to call it the second act of the game where you're going through um, the underground city where the Lamatos work in. Yeah, and this this is kind of where, like, the I think, to, to my mind the games like sags a little bit like i think there's just a little too much here in terms of back and forth and kind of low-key puzzling um there's definitely clever writing throughout it like i think some of the highlights that i found here were um like the sphinx of uh basic arithmetic (laughs) was kind of a hilarious touch he was Mm -hmm. funny um there were some lines about not eating scented candles even though they taste delicious that I found to be pretty funny but yeah this whole area like there was no like real puzzles like you knew what you're supposed to do it was mainly like okay backtrack to this and then the puzzles themselves were egregiously bad find the odd numbers do it three more times and that's all we're doing in this game I'm like why 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 well the sphinx isn't a very good sphinx you know he was like trying to you can explain it away but like still it's like I feel like that was a cop out I don't know maybe one puzzle too long i would agree with that definitely like there there was a little too much of this like there was no reason for there to be as many mini magis that you had to gather as as there were but to your point Glint, i feel like these fetch quests or tasks for various people is just a very thinly veiled attempt to get you to talk to other people it's a conveyance for you know good dialogue um the other side of that is like why the hilariously basic arithmetic is because all of this is coming out of brandon's homework and he's like a, you know, six-year-old. Okay. Fair <laughs> enough. Okay. I, I Okay. I guess the, I see like the... That, uh... that, that's kind of like, that's the reasoning I'm giving. And I'm not saying it's a reason, like, that justifies what is clearly, like, sort of really basic puzzling. But that's, like, how I'm justifying it in my head. Um, in my mind, this, this game clocks in at two hours. Steam has a two-hour refund window. I feel like this was the padding to get everybody past the two hours so that you wouldn't refund the game. <laughs> I mean, I you, you can try to bulk out the game. I don't think it's trying to get. I don't think it made it up to two hours for most people's play times for this. So I'm I got, say I, I got two. To that. I think so. That was a ninety minute for me. It was. I was pretty quick on this one, but um, yeah. I I think that's kind. Of, honestly, that's like the main reason that I think this is a good game is because it was brief enough that like even despite you know, this part that sagged in the middle, it didn't outstay its welcome for me. Like, you know, this is maybe 45 minute of the 90 minute runtime. And, you know, I got through it. Um, that first part was so strong that I was willing to hang through anyway. Like that was a super strong. I, I can't, again, saying something bad about the middle is one thing, but I can't speak highly enough of the beginning. Like that was awesome. 
for me, I think the issue was that, like, I think the game's strength was in its, like, office world and, like, showing the Japanese salaryman kind of job and lifestyle and everything. And you start off in the Llama City, which, okay, this is kind of, like, same kind of thing. But then you go to the Crystal Caverns, which just gets farther and farther away from kind of that grounding in that theme of the you know, fantastical equivalent sort of thing. Now we're just in a cave that has birds and we're solving puzzles in it. So I felt like that was the weakest portion of the game. Not because I didn't think the puzzles were great, but they were easy enough and you move on past them. It just, um, that part wasn't adding as much as the other parts of the game were. Yeah, I kind of get you because if I'm like boiling this game down to this, the theme that it's going for, you know, talking about like, work-life balance and I guess the value of connections uh, or connections with people in in the real world, whether that be with like a kid or the random ant onion who you run into in the middle of the the cave portion too. Like that's the part that really matters. And that's the part that's good about the game too, which is weird. (laughs) I think it's kind of like a meta commentary on itself. It's like all this random arithmetic and puzzling and, you know, for lack of a better word, BS, um, doesn't really cut through it's the actual like interactions with the people throughout it whether it be the bad sphinx or the ant onion or you know some random person in there with some snappy dialogue uh, I'm, I'm probably like giving the game a little too much credit in that regard because at the end of the day these uh <laughs> these puzzles do just end up being kind of filler <laughs> well one of the last things you do on the uh line of fetch quest through the crystal cavern i'm not crystal caverns but the um the cave system is you get to go to the no no holds barred concert oh yeah so you've been kind of getting like breadcrumbs for no holds barred like i find it interesting that as soon as you enter the one side of the um uh i guess it's worth mentioning up front you're sort of setting up a a mini migi cafe out front uh courtesy of a <laughs> an archaeologist who very clearly looks like laura croft i think oh i thought um, it was indiana jones <laughs> i was very confused by all of this <laughs> yeah it's it's just you know this is all nonsense but it's hilarious um yeah so at any rate you go there and you see the club uh right away and you're like oh well this is something that i'm definitely going to be in later and so, to your point, Josh, you eventually you make your way in there. But I, th- I want to touch on the scene that happens right before that first, because you can't just go in there. You have to get dressed up. You need either disguises or bling or whatever you want to call it. And Brandon, being the wise beyond his years entrepreneur that he is, trades some friendship bracelets for some shades for him so he can be disguised as a member of No Holds Barred and a kick-ass tie for Mr. Saitao. <laughs> Who was extremely touched by the gift. Yeah, I thought that was really nice. Like, this is one of those things where, like, the game... I think this was one of the better moments for me. It's just, like, him recognizing that Mr. Saitao was, like, pumped about this tie, and he gets it for him. And, you know, he clearly is feeling himself when he's wearing the tie and walking into the club. (laughs) And it changes how Saitao's feeling about Brandon, too, because at the beginning... Brandon was trying to sell Saitao a friendship bracelet. He's basically just like, no, leave me alone. Like, very just, like, dismissive. But now, Brandon making those was a super cool thing, and he was able to do something really awesome with it. And I just feel like that's where you see, like, the the attitude shift happen. Yeah, the evolution of their relationship, right? Like, he's hanging out with this kid a little, you know, long enough that you're, like, realizing 
<clears throat> a little more about him and, and what he's all about. I mean, it's worth mentioning Brandon has a few like throwaway lines that sort of reveal a lot of kind of interesting things about him. Like he hangs around with old people a lot. Um, and this, you can tie back to the real world Brandon, right? Like he's a kid you met in a hospital. What is he doing hanging out in this hospital? Does he have a relative there? Is he there because he is a sick kid? Um, yeah, it just, it starts to like make the mind think about like, what is the actual context for this kid? And it's all left pretty vague. So you can write in, you can bring a lot to that situation, I think. Um, but regardless, the evolution of that relationship, as you said, Clint, is kind of the key thing here. But to bring ourselves back to what we get at the end of uh, getting our tie and our sunglasses is we go to the No Holds Bar concert. <laughs> <laughs> that was a great moment in the game. Like, I wasn't expecting so much from that. Yeah, so you're talking about, of course, the song. They do a full-voiced song, Tea Party, yeah? They do the song, they do the cutscenes and everything, custom animations for it. And as I understand it, um, bringing in some more information from this developer interview I found, is that this was a, uh, a situation where Laura wanted to do this song as part of a celebration of Rakuen's anniversary. So she asked two of her favorite Twitch freestyle rappers, who she is apparently a fan of, to contribute <laughs> verses for this song. And they did. And I think it turned out really well. Like, obviously, you know, she's a singer-songwriter, so the bass is there. But there's also, like, two additional artists on the track. And I think it, it was it's a pretty catchy little track, you know? <laughs> Let's go, gonna start the show. I was once a little flower, but a plant has to grow. Now we're stepping on the scene and the lights start to glow. I don't mean disrespect, I just wanna keep it real, gotta change the subject. This here is a tea party, in case you didn't know. The party is on and I think that you'll like that We're bringing a hype, no holes barred on the song Raising a stink on the mic, but extending the love So the soiree is long and I bet we'll be best of buds If you're impressed with the funk since the bars are the bomb But you are in the wrong if you think you're better than us Don't poo-poo the recipe of our musical pedigree like For me, my favorite thing about this song was how unexpected it was Like, there was nothing in this game up until the point that said like And now you're gonna have like a full feature rap uh, kick-ass concert song going on right here and it, it was just like a pleasant surprise um, that it was like oh and here's a nice little treat for you having gone through and gotten all the little bird guys or nearly there at this point this had more production value than the rest of the game just all in one spot <laughs> like they just went hard in this one area I feel like they went hard in the storytelling or in the writing in the office and they went hard on, on all the production value in this one scene too very true. I mean, I will I will say from an art perspective, the game uniformly looks beautiful. Yeah. Um, um especially some of the like early and late cutscenes where they have like full um full pixel art splashes rather than just um, you know, the the inter the general interface, which kind of looks just like a JRPG, like a sixteen bit JRPG. Um, but yeah, I hear you on like this is where they kind of brought it all out. And as you said, Josh, custom animations, custom splashes, a full, you know, voiced song, like you don't see that usually in a 90 minute runtime what would otherwise be an rpg maker game <laughs> <laughs> so after we emerge from the concert finding our final bird the gigamori the biggest of the mini mori <laughs> and completing that we get to enter the crystal caverns and 
to me, this is like, this is the end of the game. And I think to your point, Clint, the game may be open strong, had a bit of a sag in the middle, but the ending landed for me. And I think if it didn't, I would have a much different feeling about this game. Um, because the ending of this game is kind of a tearjerker. You know, you come into this cavern and Brandon, you know, starts talking. And the first thing, he, one of the things he says is, thank you for allowing me to keep my promise. He says he had a friend that passed away without achieving his wish, but he promised them that he would not put off achieving his dream and that the people that were happiest were the ones that loved the most. So there's all this sort of coming together of like the friendship that you have gained with Brandon, helping him achieve his dream, and all that came together in a really nice way for me. It was kind of a tearjerker, you know? It was a really nice last scene. Like, Brandon talks about uh, with all the people he's hung out with who are implied to be um, older people. I got the feeling like he hung out at a retirement home, like that maybe his mom worked at or something. That was uh, my feeling, too. But, yeah, he talked to all these people who had lived very full lives, and some of them were like, oh, I climbed mountains, or I flew planes, or things like that. And he he said... Uh, you know, wise beyond his ear stuff. Like I thought that kind of stuff would bring me satisfaction, but those weren't the happiest people. Happiest people were those who loved each other the most and helped each other out. And it kind of like really tied in well to, you know, Mr. Saito taking the day off to uh, take Brandon to the crystal caverns and everything and tied it up really nicely. And I think the, the final portion of the game where Mr. Saito goes to take Brandon back home on the train, he says, I need to get something off my chest. And tells him that, you know, as we alluded to earlier, he reveals he tried to tunnel to the center of the earth, aka kill himself, but failed. And Brandon and this whole situation kind of turned him around. Um, and it ends on such a sweet note where they show, like, the real world analogs of Brandon and Mr. Saito, you know, sharing a sandwich in a hospital waiting room or something that at the very end um to to my mind like fully closing the loop on that that's how it ended for you for me i didn't get to see him again i just he uh as i was leaving somebody handed me a picture that he had drawn yeah same here i'll show this picture with you in chat because there is a um there's a picture of them together as real world humans as well that I think is is really nice. I don't know if he they, got maybe the secret will... ending. How'd you get that? <laughs> I didn't Wait a minute, is that what you got too, Josh? Is is that what you got? Yeah, Brandon left when you came back to the real world, and you never saw him again. That's yeah, that's what that's, I got too, man. That's what I remember at least. I'm pu- I'm putting this in chat because I think you guys got to see this picture. Oh no, I don't remember seeing that. Oh, this looks familiar. Yeah, so that that to me like sort of and you can see all of these interesting things in that picture you can see the crystal in the center of them between them you can see the drawing over on the the table next to brandon you can see like the plants and you know the plants were a consistent theme throughout the whole thing you could talk to every plant in this game it's worth mentioning that's where Um, he was hiding at the beginning right he was hiding in a (laughs) plant that's right (laughs) Yeah. yeah so like this to me was like sort of the crystallization pun absolutely not intended um, of the whole thing and I really think this game like had really sharp small touches like that that really like pushed it over the edge for me and like when it all sort of comes together at the end it's it's very affecting it earned its emotional payoff for you it did yeah and I'm not trying to say that it'll do that for everyone but um, it definitely did for me 
I think maybe that's where it lost me. I think I got... Again, not, I don't want to call it disappointed, but I was so enamored with the beginning of the game and so slumped by the second part of the game, I feel like when I got to it, it just didn't land as hard for me at the end. The game lost you somewhere along the way, and I, I yeah. get that. Like, you know, there, they, not everyone is going to, like, sort of sort of make it through the wilderness there with some of the Sphinx's challenges, you know? <laughs> mm. Um. But I, I understand that, and you know, I think I, I actually have this in my notes. Is I'm glad this ending hit for me; otherwise, I'd feel much less positive on this experience. <laughs> mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, so I, I acknowledge that completely. But uh, it did for me, and I think you know, if you're out there, and it did for you too, let us know. The good news is this game has a super positive and very meaningful message that that hits home with me, but. The good thing is you could tell what the message was before you even got to the end, too. So it's not like you're left hanging. Whether it landed with you or not, you still you still got the feel somewhere. I got it at the beginning because, again, I could already tell where this was going. I just wasn't sure if we were taking Brandon on a, on a Make-A-Wish Kid campaign or, 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 or what. I was like, you know, I, I wasn't 100% like, sure. I smell what a said. sappy ending somewhere here. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so that's that's interesting. So you're talking, you know, given the beginning, Clint, you're talking about like sort of the um, meaninglessness or rather like lack of genuineness in corporate work. Or I guess what what to your yes. mind like really worked about that opening sequence? I mean, for one, that it just I mean, the writing was top notch. Again, it just hit on so many levels. It was funny, but also very like poignant. Like you could just tell they, they got it. The one thing that did affect me about the ending is, I don't know if you ever noticed this, but there was a moment where you see, like, they're not called ghosts in there, but you see people that, you know, have... Envoys full, is what they called them. Yes, full of regrets. And they were part of the uh, the mystery world. But then also, when Mr. Saitao is back in his normal life again, and he's wandering down his street, in the real world, everyone is one of those. Just a bunch of lonely, empty people wandering around that don't have any meaning in their life. And that part was, like, probably the most effective affecting part of the ending that's interesting and you're right for what it's worth as i understand it that is a a key sort of um carryover from rakuen like that game deals much more with the envoys and what they represent and mean to the to the world so gotcha. you know i'll report back on that if i play the game and let you know but yeah you're you're absolutely right that that you know they briefly contextualize it in the game and then if you carry that forward to those other scenes you're like oh man that's bleak yeah, it's like the only like um, magical thing that I saw carry over from one to the other, and I don't know. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I no, it's a good it had call some out. deep meaning. Absolutely. All right, with that, let's take a look at some three-word reviews. For me, my three-word review is Llama Warm Looking Glass. Mr. Saitao tells a tale of a salaryman's redemption through a fantastical world filled with llama worms, talking onions, and underground music clubs. The tale gallops along in a way that has a fairy tale logic to it. Its structure reminds me of children's stories, such as Through the Looking Glass, where scenes and scenarios change quickly. At times humorous, at times pensive, it provided a thoughtful reflection on contemporary Japanese society. I think it could have benefited from stretching out its character development a little bit longer, but I appreciate a game that purposefully tries to be done within a two-hour playtime. An interesting game for sure, and one well worth playing. My three-word review is Lackluster Llama Drama. 
Uh, <laughs> Mr. Can you tell what children's book I've been reading? Yes. <laughs> okay. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Mr. Saitao is uh, less of a traditional video game like we talked about and more of a pixel walking sim slash visual novel that has some pretty important things to say in its two hour duration. And while I don't mind the short runtime, if I'm being honest, 90% of the charm for me came from the exceptional uh, office opening sequence and drops off pretty sharply from there. As for the game portion of the experience, it was mostly walking around and engaging with a few puzzles that were a little lazy. And like we said, it's just basic math and then a couple situations where you're doing the same thing over and over, just finding odd numbers versus evens. So in my opinion, when a, when a game has a lack of content on offer, you really need to make sure each one of those touch points is unique and interesting so you get the most out of it. Uh, but I felt like the player interactions were, were kind of just got a little stale. Um, all this is a shame because the message that Mr. Saitao put forth is very important and it, along with the very excellent setup, are kind of squandered and overshadowed by some half-baked experiences in the middle. Uh, the game stresses the dangers of putting life on hold for careers, putting things off for tomorrow that never comes, and wasting precious time and energy on things that don't have real value outside of a boardroom. And I really appreciate the message that Mr. Saitao put forth, but if you don't want to spend two hours to get it, let me sum it up. Go outside, hug a friend, text your mom. And don't forget that your personal <laughs> worth is not decided by the payroll department. You matter, and it's time to start living your life to its fullest because tomorrow's never guaranteed. So for me, it's a big thumbs up for the message. I just wish this one got baked a little longer so it could uh, build on the foundations that it had in a more meaningful way. That is good, Clint. My three-word review is The Little Things. Mr. Saitao is a beautiful and brief little slice-of-life game with a charming world and even more charming characters. The success of its lighthearted tone is, however, underwritten by the seriousness of its premise. The real world Mr. Saitao is burned out and desperate, and throughout the course of the journey it became easy to forget the reason why you were there in the first place. But as Mr. Saitao and Brandon work their way towards the Crystal Caves, Saitao learns about the importance of the little things, helping someone out in need, facing your fears, and basic math but above all, how to be happy through acts of love. All it took was the appreciation for the little things and a new perspective from a little person to remind him about what's truly important in life. One thing I won't need any additional metrics to decide is that this has piqued my interest in Laura Shigahara's work, and I'll be checking out Rakuen soon. Mr. Saito gets two llama worms up from me. And with that, we want to say thanks for listening. And if you enjoyed this podcast, then feel free to share it with folks you think might enjoy it as well. And if you want to get in touch, drop us a note at pixelatedplaygrounds at gmail.com or contact us on Twitter at pixelplaypod. And for us here at Pixelated Playgrounds, I'm Brian Skersha. I'm Josh Galecki. And I'm Clint Jones. Take care and have a long day. was a fantastic three-word review <laughs> i re I, really i i rewrote it twice in the middle of here because i felt like i was being too i i was maybe too harsh in a couple places so i know no, that i think i think it really got to the it. point about like it really solidly critiqued what was going on with the mechanics but i it, it is clear to me that you got what the game was going for which is key. oh yeah yeah like, that's the whole reason i played this game it did not look like a game for me but just reading like the just like the little milk carton description of this game i was like this is exactly how i feel a lot um, uh -huh. <laughs> so yes <laughs>
it's an important <laughs> it's an, we're not we don't have the salary man culture here but we do sort of yeah i mean america is like the careerist culture in america is just as salary man-esque it just you know rising grind bros are everywhere right, and i'm yes. like fuck you i just want to like rise <laughs> yeah. and enjoy my day like is that a thing we get to do anymore i don't know rise and enjoy no not so much no um, <laughs> the whole fact that they have something called salary man is almost like not making fun of it but you know it's like look at those idiots they, i mean why do they do what they do like it's not the normal thing we're all salary men here that's why it's not we're not called anything we just all do it i don't know why one thing I did not know before playing this game was that hole-in-one insurance was not a one-off gag that they threw in there. <laughs> it is a actual and real thing over in Japan. Uh, are you where kidding if, me? Wait, if you really? get a hole-in-one, <laughs> then you are expected to throw a huge party for everyone who is there with you. And you can buy <laughs> insurance in order to fund the costs of this. It costs only $65 a year, so if you get the hole-in-one, then then you are able to throw a huge party afterwards without bankrupting yourself. That's so funny. That's the stupidest thing I've ever heard. <laughs> the good news is I wouldn't have to pay. <laughs> I, I, I wouldn't need it. I'd be fine. Brian can attest to this. My golf game is ass. So. I have a buddy who's uh, a pretty avid golfer and has gotten a hole-in-one. To, to your point, it is a cultural thing here that if you get a hole in one, you're supposed to like buy a round for everyone. But it's not like what you know anything like the lavish party that, that Joshua is describing oh. there. You know, they were you're describing to... it even worse in the game. Like they're like, you basically have to spend a year's salary. Like you have to buy your friends things like <laughs> gold bars or something like that. It was crazy. <laughs> yeah, I mean, obviously, it was sort of lampooning it. I don't think anyone's expecting gold bars if you get a hole in one. But uh, you know, I think a lavish party, like Josh said, is is totally within bounds. Uh, Clint, you you were talking about how the puzzles from the Sphinx were not great. And I realized this after doing the second one. When I got to the third one, I'm like, they better make this worth the payoff. And to me, they did (laughs) by having the Sphinx be like, man, guys, I'm so terrible at this. And they made it a whole like kind of running thing about how bad the Sphinx was at his job. So to me, I'm like, okay, it was a lame puzzle, but they took it in an entertaining way afterwards i guess uh, make me do evens next there's odds every time like are we doing this again and the only hard math problem is like ah, i just got you the answer is five like that that part was funny like don't get me wrong like i thought the dialogue was funny i just wish they had done something more like interesting like i said if you're only going to do five puzzles in a whole game they should be good i don't puzzles. care if there's just five just make them more interesting <laughs> I, I i think to, to josh's point though like the bad sphinx it, it there's a point to the, the character of the Bad Sphinx, right? Like, their job is to write puzzles, but they're clearly shitty at it. So, like, there are other things that Sphinx is good at. They wired up a whole intercom system. They said, oh, I should have been a Sphinx of electrical engineering. And, like, yeah, absolutely yeah. you should have. <laughs> <laughs> so, I think that was sort of another, like, little lesson of the game. Like, if you are working in a bad job that you are also not really bad at, bring some more of yourself to it, and maybe you can make it better i don't know maybe that was just uh i think there was way too much bad puzzling for way too little payoff in that as you as you pointed out clint but that's what i got from it yeah forget a tea party we rather be bards and be part of the beef consuming the beef with these bars soon as we charge into the scene the tea starts spilling and leaks inevitably because he's not maxwell it's little buds real buzz is built up for real just chill dad you will up the skills once you get a load of it but no scones we don't want i'm not a hooligan i don't hold grudges down, feet on the ground, we don't even 
It's a tea 